0: Welcome everybody back to another episode of the GSL podcast. It's great to be back. I know a lot of you said that you missed it last week. I missed you guys too. We have a ton to get to this episode, including news, some match recaps, an international interview, and also our first fan mail of the season, but more on that later. Just want to thank everyone for the support of the podcast. Continuing each week, we've reached over 1,100 listeners including Canada, the U.S., and India, as I mentioned before. But I'd like to welcome some new listeners we have from Portugal and the U.K. It's great to have all of you listening to the show, and hopefully you'll keep listening as the weeks progress. Last week, we had our first edition of the Pekora. I had a great time with it. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too, and I'm looking forward to getting two new contestants on this month. If you know anybody that you think would be good for it or you want to compete yourself, feel free to email me. It's thegslpodcast at gmail.com or feel free to send in some fan mail or shoutouts or anything you want to let me know about the show. Anyways, we have a lot to get to, so let's jump right into the news. First up in the news is the disputed game between Aguada and Margao played on June 5th has officially been overturned. This means that Margau has forfeited that game and Aguada is awarded a 2-0 win. This is because Margau fielded an illegal player as Brendan Gomes was suspended for this game, having received a direct red card in the finals of last year. I reached out to Brendan Gomes for a comment on the matter and he said, "Quote: They gave us no indication of how long the suspension was, the league owner was present at the game and didn't notify us. Same story as always with us. Nothing surprises me anymore. End quote. So when I asked him if he got a direct red card in the last game of the season and it's always two game suspension, so why would they need clarification? He said, quote, a straight red is a two game suspension, but we didn't know whether it was straight red or two yellow cards. And of course, we received no reply or indication. It is what it is, though. We've never had a player win the MVP and we've gone unbeaten for three seasons, end quote. So obviously some frustration on his part. I think that uh, when it comes down to it, it is an administrative thing and they sh- they will have a copy of the game sheet from the finals. The referees always give a copy of the game sheet at the end of each game to both managers. So if they had looked at that game sheet, it would have said direct red on there. So they would have known he was suspended for two games. So as painful as it is, I do have to say this is an administrative thing and they should have looked into it and not fielded a player that was illegal. That being said, it is an unfortunate way to lose a game, especially since they won the game 2-0. However, the rules are the rules and you have to follow the rules. You've got mail, 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 mail. You've got mail, mail. You've got mail, mail, mail. You've got mail, mail, mail. You've got mail, mail. Yes, that ridiculously obnoxious sound drop that I've used is the drop for fan mail. I'm happy to say we received some fan mail for the first time, although I don't know if I can really call it fan mail. This comes from Jason Diaz from Colva. Subject line, it's about respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-K. I think he meant respect, but apparently he spells it with a K. He says, where's the respect on JVD name? He is hashtag the future, scores two goals to win the game versus Mopsa, and he don't even get a name drop. Stay sleeping, SMH. I think I think the SMH stands for shaking my head. Well, first, I'd like to say thanks to Jason Diaz for taking the time to email in. The first thing I'll say is when it comes to sleeping, I think it might have been Jason sleeping during his English class because respect is spelled with a T, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I think that's a famous song. Um, I know that respect, I think with the K might be like an internet joke or something like that. Maybe you were going for that a little bit of humor as far as your actual question, when it comes to JVD, Johnny scoring the two goals, I fully understand your, your frustration. You know, you wanted your teammate to get a shout out for a great performance. I heard they were two great goals. The truth is I was playing a game at the same time on the other field, so I can't really watch your game and play my game at the same time. So it comes down to people from each team letting me know information on their game the gsl insiders can't cover every game so and the league unfortunately doesn't update its website in time for me to see the goal scores most of the time so i'm usually just going off word of mouth or talking to some people but i I, it's tough for me to get the goal scores for every game so jason diaz if johnny has another game you want to give him a shout out please email me let me know about his performance about his goals describe it to me in detail and maybe he'll get a shout out next time uh, when he has a great Colva performance but thanks again for the fan mail that's it for the news let's get into match recaps since there was no podcast last week we have two weeks of games to go through starting off with the June 19th games and Lotulum versus Mopsa This was apparently a pretty one-sided game with Lothalem winning 3-0. Goal scores included Keegan, Nicholas Green, and Aaron Atwal. Lothalem continues their undefeated streak and at this point, I think that they've gained a lot of momentum. They're going to be cruising each week off the highs of all these victories, all these solid performances. They've only let in one goal so far this season. And I think really their test is going to be Lothalem versus Margao. To really see are these results just a a matter of the other teams not playing as well are they really at their peak performance can they beat margau can they beat aguada you know the consistently the higher placing teams and i think that'll be a real test for them going forward but for now undefeated multiple goals for only one goal against they have a great start to the season which is which is really looking good for them That's right, you heard it. That's the upset alarm. On June 19th, there was a massive upset. Aguada beating Margao 1-0. As I mentioned before, this was always going to be a hotly contested game with the recent forfeit and and, uh, dispute over their first game in which Margao won 2-0 but then had to forfeit to Aguada. And this was a very tight game between the two teams, back and forth. But in the last five minutes of the game, a beautiful through ball by Casey DeMello to their striker, Lester Fernandez who was extremely clinical with his finishing, putting the ball in the net, and giving his team the one nothing win. For those of you that heard the first episode of the podcast, I talked to the MVP last year, Jason D'Souza, who did call out Lester as being one of the most dangerous players in the league. Lester is someone who's kind of flown a little bit more under the radar, he's been a consistent performer for Aguada, but isn't really talked about as much in the league, and I think that's because of maybe in the past he's a little bit more inconsistent. In some games he would perform well and then he would go away for school or his performances wouldn't be great, he'd be injured, but he's really become a lot more consistent in the last year or two and especially this season he's been performing very well. So Aguada will hope that he can continue that going forward and into the playoffs. Overall this is a huge win for Aguada, not only a morale booster but really helps them in their position to try and challenge for the title. When it comes to winning the title in the GSL you really have to get big key victories against the big teams like Lotulum and Margao and getting one victory is great. Getting Doing the double on them and winning both of their games is amazing. So really Aguada is going to be fighting off Lotulum now to try and uh, take the title and see if they can win the league for the first time in a while. That's the regular season. Uh, obviously, they won the championship last year. As far as Margao goes, their co- season continues to plummet. Um, I know it sounds like I'm really ragging on them for what's only been maybe like two losses and a tie, but this is a team that's used to winning every single game. This is their first loss in their regular season in three years. Obviously, they forfeited the June 5th game, but I don't really count that as a loss. I mean, it, it's a it's a technical loss, but they won the game 2-0 with their with their players, whereas this is straight up full team against full team, and Aguada won fair and square. So this is Marga's first actual loss in three years, so very shocking from them. Their personnel seem to be the same this year, so I'm not really sure what's going on with them. But... We will have a guest from Margot coming on uh, in July, so we'll be able to get more insight into their season then and what's going on. The last game featured Kolva versus Dona Paula. These are two teams that I predicted would be battling near the bottom of the league. However, both teams have been performing relatively well so far, and Kolva managed to get another win against Dona Paula. They won 2-0. This off the back of their victory against Mobsa 2-1 coming from behind with those famous now Johnny 2 goals. And... Uh, I think that Colva used that momentum to help them in this game and and really help them win over against a younger Dona Paula team. So great victory for Colva. They're really taking care of business in their game so far. And uh, hopefully they can build on that. And I think they're going to want to try and challenge for at least a mid-table position this year. I don't think they're going to want to settle for 6th place, 7th place, anything near that. So hopefully they can keep that up and keep their performances up. Moving on to the June 26th games. Just this past weekend, there was a massive upset. Donna Paula beating Aldana, 1-0. Someone needs to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is Donna Paula's first victory ever as a team since they entered the league two years ago. This is their third season. Their first season was under the name Old Goa. And from my memory, I can't think of them ever winning a game because even back in the day against Dabolim, Dabolim beat them to make the playoffs. So congratulations to Donna Paula. Obviously, I'm on Aldana, so I played in this game. Really, Aldana did not perform at all. From start to finish, they were poor, did not maintain possession at all, generated very few chances. Donna Paula came in with a very strong game plan. It was to play solid defense, really harass the Aldana players, get, you know, pressure the ball. Not don't don't give them time on the ball. Don't give them time to generate passes. And their plan worked perfectly. And then late in the second half with about 10 minutes to go, they managed to poach a goal with Jay on the right side cutting in and shooting the ball near post and, and scoring a pretty nice goal. And you could tell it really lifted their spirits and it really validated the plan they came into the game with. I've spoken a lot about Donna Paul this season about how their goals should just be not finished last place. And usually when it comes to predictions, I usually predict them to lose. So some people have told me maybe I'm biased against them or why, why do I always think Donna Paul is not going to perform And the reason is they're just an extremely young team. They have a lot of growth and development to do. But having played them, I noticed that they're much better than they were last year. And personnel-wise, they pretty much have the same team. They've added some veteran leadership in Roy and some other former Dublin players, which has kind of stabilized their team and given them some veteran leadership, which I think is extremely important, especially Roy, who's been around the league since day one. And... What I noticed is the young players, they're more confident on the ball. They're making passes. They're making runs. Last year, they were much more timid. They would cough up the ball. They would just give it away. Whereas this year, they're actively trying to maintain possession. And I really think they just remind me of Navalim. Navalim, when they came in the league, they were all young. They would get pushed off the ball. They would give turnovers. They would get destroyed. And then each year, they got slightly better and better. And then really, they hit their breakthrough. And they started becoming a solid, I wouldn't say contender for the championship, but They were someone that was difficult in the playoffs and they were winning playoff games and even made a run all the way to the finals. So as far as Donna Paula goes, I, I still maintain my goals for them. Their goals should still be, you know, don't finish last place, you know, make a good position for yourself for the playoffs so you can try and win a quarterfinal game. And I think they've done a great job so far. Their first victory, congrats to them. Can't take anything away from them. They had a great performance and we'll see how they do going forward from this. As far as Aldena goes, a huge wake-up call for their team. They're now zero wins, two losses to start the season. They have a bye week. Everyone has a bye week this weekend, and then they come back with four games in the next week. So they really need to wake up and kind of get their act together if they're going to be competing uh, to finish second again like they did last year. Moving on, we have Aguada versus Colva. This was an extremely close game, very back and forth, and uh, Aguada ended up winning 2-1. to Colva's Carlton Deguera managed to get a goal but once again Lester Fernandez for Aguada scoring two goals to help propel his team to another win. I already spoke about Lester before but this is the type of consistency that Aguada needs from him because he is now their main striking option and he does have the talent to score a lot of goals. So if he can keep up this production they're looking like they're going to have a great season this year. The final game was between Margau and Mopsa. This was a game that everyone predicted Margot would win, and they did 2-0. Mopsa managed to tie them 2-2 in the first game of the season. However, this game was a lot more one-sided. Margot had plenty of chances to score throughout the entire game, but failed to put them away, including Dwayne Lobo-Perez missing a penalty shot. But in the end, Nikhil from Margot managed to score two goals and give them the victory. I think this was definitely a needed victory for Margot. You know try and get some wins on the board right? their season and get back to that consistent winning that they have every week so i think that they definitely needed this win and it's good that they got one that's it for the match recaps we won't do predictions this week because uh this weekend there are no games due to canada day so i'd like to jump right into our international interview uh rohit de almeida he joined the league in 1996 when he was very young he played from 1996 to 2007 on teams such as Tivim, Oralim, Saligao, and finally Kalangut. He currently lives in Savannah, Georgia in the United States, but he says he still loves the Goan Soccer League and listens to the podcast every week. And right now he works with FC Barcelona and their youth development camps in the States and coaches full-time. Hey Rohit, this is Wendell from the GSL podcast. Hey Wendell, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Uh, It's a a pleasure. You know, anything to, uh, you know, when it comes to football, and more importantly, anything for, you know, the community, especially since, you know, I've been involved with it. Well, at least I can say I was involved with it when it first started back in 96. And I still try to follow it years later.
0: Yeah, that's the great part is that uh, you're currently in the States, but you still found out about the podcast. You still regularly check in on the Go Soccer League Facebook group and then you started listening and you actually contacted us, contacted us saying that you'd love to be on the show and used to be in the league. So I kind of already gave an intro that you know you were in the league from 1996 to 2007 or involved with the league. Um, a lot of the players that are currently in the league probably joined around 2007 or later. Um, so a lot of players only know what the current league is like. So. Can you give us kind of a a description of what the league was like in the early stages, you know, around the 90s and the early 2000s? How many teams were there normally? What was the level of competition like?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, back in 96, I wasn't that much involved, other than I just was a player as a 16-year-old. But uh, I think off the top, I think it was eight teams. But the following year, then it just jumped to... 10 teams, and it was like consistently 10 teams. And I know this you, you had mentioned this previously in the podcast. And yeah, it had gotten up to, I think, maybe even 12 teams one season.
0: Yeah, I think 12 was uh, the most it ever was. Yeah.
1: You know, and it was, yeah, it was consistently 10, you know, 10 teams every year because I know they ran the playoffs where you actually had to qualify top eight teams, you know, and now obviously there's with six teams, and over the years I've seen it down to seven teams where. You know, whoever finishes first in their division gets the bye and then, you know, then you play, you know, continue. So in a way, it kind of progressed from, you know, competing to top eight to now. It's almost like the MLS yeah, or other teams where other leagues where everyone now makes the playoffs.
0: Yeah, that, that's the unfortunate thing with the number of teams going down. It For me, it's not even about the playoffs as much. I don't I don't necessarily mind everyone making the playoffs. It's more variety. If we have 10 teams, you're playing nine different teams in the season. It's like so many different players, so many varieties of games, where once you get down to seven teams like we are now, it's only six games and you're playing everyone twice. So it's kind of repetitive, the matchups. I mean, it's still good competition, but it, it does become a little bit more repetitive. There's not as much variety. Um Back in your day, as you mentioned, there was always ten teams this year around up to twelve. Who who was considered the best team when you used to play? I
1: mean, without a doubt right off the bat, it would have been para. But that's because I mean I mean, it's funny though, because when we used to play them, you know, especially when I was later on at Collingwood, you know, I mean, you'd looked at them as a team and you watched them play and, you know, they there wasn't a standout individual, individual, but I think what was, uh, you know, the root to their success was they had a system that they played. Now, technically, if you both looked at each player individually, yeah, you know, it wasn't the case. But, I mean, they came together as a team and that, you know, I think like anything, if you have some common ground, especially with a system of play, it makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's the amazing thing about Parra is, as you said, they, they weren't really known for having that one perennial all-star that kind of carried the team. They were definitely just a really talented team overall. They're actually very similar to how Margot is right now. When you think of Margot, yeah, you might think of, you know, Dwayne or, or Elton, Brendan Gomes. You know, some people might stand out as being kind of the face of Margot. But in reality, they're so successful because they have a great system. Everyone buys into the system. And everyone has a minimum level of talent to play that system and work really hard. So Para back in the day was doing the exact same thing under the leadership of Darren Fernandez, and as a result, they won seven titles, which is currently the record. Um, I remember we were we were speaking before about the league back in the day. So for myself, I mean, I, I was a kid, but my dad was playing the league, so I used to come to the games, watch the games, and talk to my dad. I would hear you know certain names more than others, and I think the common consensus is the league back in the day. Some of the notable talents and best players were Antonio from Margao. Roy and Trevor De Silva were on para. Darren Fernandez was on para. They had a striker, David Souza that was on para. Ron was on Lotelum, but he was kind of in his infancy in his career, so he was still starting out. Um, a lot of people say that Ron made Lothalem great, but I think that was more a little bit later. As you said, they didn't win a playoff game until you know three years in, so they really developed more later on. Um, but you were, you were saying that even back in the day, it was known as Ron's team. It wasn't, it was known that he was the one that was going to carry them going forward.
1: Yeah, it was, it's funny. I mean, amongst my friends and all, we always had this joke, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, teams would do their cheer, whatever it is. Hey, one, two, three, Marga, one, two, three. I go, Hey, Luther Lee would go probably one, two, three, Ron instead of Luther (laughs) Lee goatees, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it used to be, you know, I mean, back then, even though there were 12 teams, sometimes there was always one player that stood out, you know, that was exceptional. Like Parry, as you mentioned, had David D'Souza. I know Collingwood, we used to have Calvin. yeah, And Calvin. then when uh, Elton Fernandez, the boy who was on the Canadian national team. Yeah he, yeah, he was on Yeah, when he was there, you know. So, you know, it used to be interesting when teams would play teams, you know, you'd always see that one standout player, was sort of almost like a double team player, you know, was double teamed
0: or you know paid close attention to. Yeah, but no. uh, yeah,
1: I mean, there was Joe Fernandez, I remember. Um,
0: yeah, it's it's amazing to look at the league because as much as it's getting smaller and smaller, there has been you know a generational transcendence in the sense that, as you mentioned in your day, Joe Fernandez on Aldena was one of the best players, along with Rowan Narona, you mentioned. Um, and now Rowan yep, is actually yep. the coach of Aldena and Joe's son, Richard, is on Aldena. And back in the the youth coming up were, you know, Calvin versus Elton on Bugmolo. Because as you mentioned, they had played club soccer against each other. So now El- Calvin is no longer in the league, but Elton is still playing now. He's on Aldena and he's continued playing in the league. But that's the nice thing is to see that these players, a lot of them are still in the league, but also the next generation is now coming up. And now even past them, there's a new generation of even like 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds that is coming up. Um, one thing that you and I have in sim- have in similar is that uh, we've both been to the finals one time and we've both lost, so we've never won the league. You went to the finals in 2002 with Cal and Gute. You played Margot. What happened in that game? What was the experience like, of, you know, making it to the finals but then not being able to win?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, uh, obviously losing any final is terrible. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we made it to the finals. And that finals, I mean, I think we had conceded, yeah, we had conceded a goal in the first two minutes of the game, you know. Uh, and then, you know, just kept grinding away, grinding away, grinding away. And then we tied up with 10 minutes to go. And then we go into extra time. And extra time, uh, yeah, we, we gave up, you know, a goal uh right into extra time and back then it wasn't i'm trying to think even i can't sure. even remember it wasn't a, a golden goal
0: i think it yeah. was golden goal back in the day golden. before they got rid of it and then on top of that you have to still stay you get what
1: you know like anything watch the other team celebrate uh and also uh <laughs> receive your medal you know
0: yeah I n- i've never understood why they give a medal second i mean coming second is great like as you said, there's going to be, for you, at least eight other teams that didn't make it to the finals, didn't become second. But I I, I don't know. I don't think anyone really relishes a second-place uh, finish. Even no. for us, we got a second-place trophy that was, like, massive. It was, like, this massive trophy for second place. But it just feels like a false award.
1: Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, the reality is no one remembers who finished the second.
0: Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no one no one, remembers who finished the second. That's definitely not true. Except for the team that finished second and never made it back like us.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is, in the GSL, there is a record. Well, Margot has this record for the team that's been to the finals the most, but has lost. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. I, and I I'm saw like, that.
1: What's the point of this?
0: I don't know. Well, I guess it's to show that even though maybe they've won five times and they've also been there so many times, so it shows how dominant they are. They keep making it back. But I agree, it's kind of like you have the record for losing in the finals. But maybe that'll be a future Pakora question. We'll, we'll see. Maybe people will keep their ears out. <laughs> um, so. One of the cool things about your story is that, you know, near the end of your GSL career, you moved more into coaching side. You were coaching, then you were a player coach, and then you were coaching a team. Um, and now, now that you live in, you live in Savannah now in Georgia, but you're working with FC Barcelona. You're working with Captiva Sports. You started coaching there. Um, what, what are you currently doing as far as coaching, and how did you get into that?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean... The, the coaching side, I mean, it just took on a life of its own. And that's mainly because, I mean, when I was at the GSL, and, you know, I mean, I wasn't an exceptional player, you know, so most of the time I'd spend my time on the bench. And I, I, and I don't know, it was just a conscious decision. I'm like, you know, being on the bench, I go, there's so much more we can do better, you know, especially when you're seeing things from the outside. And I was like, you know, one season I just asked the guys, hey, do you mind if I coach? And it's like anything, you know, and I remember when it was my first season as coaching and it's like, it's normal that ha- you have players that have doubt, but I literally will make Excel spreadsheets of, Hey, different scenarios, you know, how a corner kick. And I'd use not player names, but numbers as players and the guys, you know, and I think that's what got the guys going. And, you know, and seeing that the players believed in that, it became a motivating factor. So, you know, obviously, in 07, because of work and relocation, then 08 to the U.S. I kind of wasn't involved with coaching. But then in 2010, I did get involved with coaching here in the U.S. Once I would settled down and knew this was where home was going to be, uh, I at that point made it a sub. You know, made a decision that I was going to get involved with coaching, but I was going to start with the youngest age group possible, which was six years old. So I went to the local league here. I said, Hey, I'd like to get involved with coaching. Uh, happy to start with six years old, and the club director was like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I go, you know, because I want to understand the progression of kids as I get more involved with coaching and work with older kids, and I'm like, you know what, I would rather stay and work with the youngest age groups as possible, uh, because no one wants to do them, you know, and, and that was the case when I had signed up for a coaching clinic uh, that Barcelona held in Miami. Uh, and they asked me, hey, would you be interested in coaching at our camp? We have a camp in Miami, and I was like, yeah, sure, you know, and when they were doing team assignments uh, for the camp, you know, the first question is who wants to do the youngest kids, and the reality there is no one wants to do the youngest kids, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it, and, you know, I coach at the camp, and then the feedback was, and they go, you know, it's one thing that you wanted to do it, and coach six-year-olds, It's another thing that you're actually good at it, you know. So, you know, having that feedback, you know, and feeling empowered, you know, I've always stayed in it. uh, And I choose to stay in it because uh, it's, I mean, to me to see a six-year-old come in and, you know, learn the basic skills and it's skills that they'll keep for the rest of their life, no matter what level they play soccer-wise, you know, that foundation, it's, you know, I find it very rewarding.
0: So when it comes to the, the GSL, we have a lot of young teams, young players, a ton of young players entering the league in the last couple of years. What, what advice would you give for either coaches or even the players themselves on youth development? How What can they do to best develop going forward and maximize their chances of making an impact in the league?
1: I mean, the, the very, very first thing and the most important is never stop learning, you know. Uh, and the biggest thing with development is you don't have to work on what you're good at. You actually have to work on your weaknesses. And if you work on your weaknesses, your top line, you know, your top end automatically improves. So, I mean, that's the biggest advice is because every player knows their weakness and every player knows themselves better than anyone else in most cases, you know, and sometimes, I mean, yeah, you have to leverage your teammates. Hey, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And, you know, that way I can fix it.
0: I know that, um, I know that you found it about the podcast on the Facebook group. You're following. You listen every week. Appreciate your support. Are you uh, are you currently currently rooting for any team in the league? I mean, the teams you played on are now gone, but is there any team that's your favorite that you root for? Uh,
1: no, honestly, I mean, there's no team in general that I follow or root for. You know, I mean, obviously, my village is uh, family. Village is uh, uh, a which is in the south of Goa. So, uh, I mean, I always just. Follow the league. I mean, I'm always happy to see the league alive, uh, you know, and kicking, even though it's down to six teams compared to what it was, you know, and, you know, I just want to see the league stay alive because it's, it's, a, it's a cultural league, you know, it brings the community together, and, and I feel that, you know, I mean... I still feel that they can be more than what there ever was. You know, they can easily be 20 teams. And the reason why I say that is, with like, the whole idea, and I don't know if Everisto has ever shared this, but I know he shared this with me personally, Evaristo Fernandez. He said, you know, the whole idea when he got this league going back in 96 was, you know, eventually was to see a group of going boys, you know, go win the Ontario Cup you know and that was the whole purpose of you know i guess you know everyone that does things soccer related you know there's always a method to the madness you know so i mean every year is i mean it's great to always see the league but every year you know around springtime i always kind of cringe and you know keep my fingers crossed like hey is there going to be a league you know and i kind of wait to see if there's a schedule and then this year obviously with the podcast it kind of gave us a little bit of insight you know
0: yeah exactly well thankfully there's still a league this year i'm with you i hope it goes every year i hope we get more teams i hope it stays strong it's really a great just a great organization that brings the community together through competition but also it's just a ton of fun honestly seeing everyone each week playing the games winning losing it's just great seeing everyone just a great community atmosphere so hopefully it stays strong thanks so much for coming on the podcast really appreciate your insight a lot of a lot of great information on youth development and also kind of a glimpse into what the league used to be like and maybe what we can strive towards getting back to that 10 team each year um, so thanks a lot for being on the show
1: oh uh, you're welcome Wendell and uh, just to finish off uh, obviously it's I'm side here but uh, you know happy Canada day to everyone and have a safe weekend
0: all right that's it for today's podcast thanks a lot to Rohit Almeida for coming on the show and giving some great information that's it for now tune in next week for a brand new episode